0: Well, good morning, Rock Hill. Hey, good to see you. if you're online, welcome as well. We're glad that you're here, glad that you're joining us, however you are able to. We know the weather is kind of tricky and uh, we, we want you to know just on the outset, we had planned tonight to have an ordination service for Jeremy Riddles and Wade and Heaton. And with families traveling in from long distances, we just decided to postpone that just for a season. We, we, we think we have a date, but we'll announce that to you soon. It'll be in February. Uh, But we want you to be a part of that, and we don't want fear of roads or what could be because, you know, as Texans, if it, it, you know, okay, Baptist joke, here it comes. It takes a lot of water to make a Baptist and a little water to keep him away, all right? So we we just want to be aware of the weather. We're trying to be concerned with that. So uh, just be aware that's going on. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 1. We began this series uh, last week. We'll be in it for the next couple of weeks after this. And we're in this moment where Habakkuk has received some news that he does not like. And he has prayed two primary prayers. How long, O Lord, and why? Things that we often pray when life doesn't turn out the way that we think it should. He's received some unfortunate news because internally the people of God are at—they're uh, not obeying the law, and when the people disobey God's rules or God's laws, let's just be really frank: things don't go well. Now, on the internal, that's happening. On the external, he has received some information that the Chaldeans—that's the Babylonians—that's all the the people that you would put into one one little bowl of all the badness in the world, they are being given the opportunity to overtake God's people. So internally, Habakkuk is seeing this infighting. Externally, he's seeing the world burn. And he doesn't like it. The title of the message today is, What do you do when you get bad news? What what do you do when the information you're receiving is contrary to the information you were perceiving. You thought things were going to go one way, but they went another. You went in for a regular checkup to the doctor, and they hand you a moment of dialogue that was not what you expected. You're having a conversation with your children, and you think this is going to be a great reunion, but they're saying, I never want to talk to you ever again. You get news that is opposite of what you thought you were going to get. You had an expectation. And it's not hard. If you're a rational person, and we're rational people in this room, if you're a rational person to flip on the news and think the world is about to be over, I'm getting information that is bad. And it's not hard to become discouraged from this. And I've shared this before, but it is not hard for us to become discouraged. It comes naturally. We naturally become discouraged. It is hard to walk with encouragement. And so Habakkuk has received some news that he doesn't like, and it's like an infection. And if you don't deal with an infection, it festers and can actually kill you. So what do you do when you receive bad news? If you're at Habakkuk chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 12. We'll read through chapter 2, verse 1. We'll put it on the screen for you. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. If you're there, will you say word? Habakkuk is praying. He says, are you, he's talking to God, are you not from eternity, Lord, my God, my Holy One, you will not die Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. He's talking about the Chaldeans. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent when one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? You you have made mankind. Like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler, the Chaldeans, pull them all up with a hook, catch them in their dragnet, and gather them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and rejoice. That is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. For by these things, their portion is rich and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? Watch what he says in verse 1 of chapter 2. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. Habakkuk is in this moment and he begins this prayer. In fact, the subtitle on my text says Habakkuk's second prayer what does Habakkuk do when he gets bad news? He prays. What should the Christian do when they receive information and news that is discomforting? They pray. Prayer is the method by which God uses Christians to change the world, prayer is the work. Prayer is the wartime living. Prayer is not just this, thank you for this food, let us eat together, and may us, let's not argue at the dinner table while we're watching TV. Prayer is, and I think God is looking for people who will pray. He's not looking for new methods. He's not looking for new organizations. He's looking for people men and women who wrought by the Holy Spirit will pray. What do you do when you get bad news? Habakkuk prays and I've looked throughout the Bible and I can't find any prayer that begins as abruptly as Habakkuk begins his prayer. No reverence, no God Almighty, no you're the, you know, uh, hallowed be your name. It's it's just, hey, this is who you are. Are you not? He's beginning to ask some questions and now he's asking questions that are truly rhetorical in nature because he knows the answer to these questions. It's not like he's praying and informing God on God. He's reminding really himself on who God is. And in fact, that's how he begins to pray. He recounts who God is. When you face a crisis, when you receive news that is hard, you pray and you begin your praying by remembering or recounting The nature and character of who God is. Look how he begins. He says, are you not eternal? God is eternal. There's no beginning. There is no end to God. God has always existed. There's no beginning to him. In fact, if 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 God had a birthday cake, there'd be more candles on it than anybody else. God has always existed. We learn this in Psalm 90, verse two. You've heard this before, but Psalm 90, verse two, he says, before the mountains were born, before you formed the earth and the world from eternity to eternity, you are God. God is eternal. God being eternal means that there's no day in which God did not exist, and there will be no day in which God does not exist. God has always been. The problem is when we think we've always been. We think we are eternal in the sense of knowing all things. The fact that God never began to exist should cause us to conclude that God's not even bound by time. If you read Psalm 90, verse two, jump down to verse four, and this is what he says. For in you, or in your sight, A thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. Now listen, the God who created time, the God who lives apart from time, is the God who rules over time and the God who works in our time. Just because you think everything's chaotic in the world does not mean it's chaotic to God. God's eternal. Just because you're watching the news and the world's on fire doesn't mean it's on fire for God. God is not impacted by time, yet he chooses to work in our time. And you may think and look at the world and say, well, God's not working, obviously. Okay, because you know And I'm not trying to be condescending, but I'm trying to be like a parent that speaks gently with their children. Oh, because you know? You know how to parent? And when we think God's not in control is the second you've not remembered that he is. Not only this, he says, "You are you not from eternity? Then he says, Lord, all capitals, to reference to the, the covenantal sovereignty of God, God is sovereign, that gives me great hope. We joke in seminary that we're to live like Arminians but sleep like Calvinists. Here's what that means, live as if it's all up to you but sleep knowing that it's not. I can sleep well at night because I know that I don't have to make sure all the buttons are being pushed in the world. I don't have to worry about all these things. He is called Lord, and when you see Lord written in all caps, it means he's sovereign, he's divine. And you may be saying, God, aren't you the one who made covenant with these people? And yet it seems like you're you're hurting these people. God, aren't you the one that made covenant with us, your church? This is why I'm not afraid of what will happen to the church. Jesus will protect his bride. God being sovereign means that there's no one who's equal to God. And there have been men throughout history that thought that they were, and they've all died. I say this with gentleness. But conspiracy theorists are going to raise doubts. Fear mongers are going to raise anxiety. But God, he raised his son from the dead. And that means that he's sovereign over everything. Life. And death, he rules and reigns. He can only raise the Son of God from the dead if he's sovereign. And in life, you have one of two options either you are at the center of the universe, and your experiences are at the center of everything, and how you understand God is based on you or God is at the center of the universe. And you don't define God by your experiences. He defines you in the middle of your experiences. God is sovereign. He's over all these things. And I'm telling you, it's dangerous if life is all about you. If life is all about you, on one moment, you're happy because people have said nice things to you and then the next you're sad because somebody doesn't like you. If you read about the apostle Paul, he didn't care because he even looked before the Lord and said, I'm, this is after he was converted, I am the chief of sinners. If Paul, the apostle, is saying that, what kind of category am I in? The amazing thing about the sovereignty of God is that it'll allow you to sleep at night. He says, Lord, then he says, my God, Lord, my God, sovereign, but he's also personal. Habakkuk says, my God, which is saying that he has a relationship with God. When I compare Christianity to all the other religions in the world, can I just tell you, Christianity is the best Now, that shouldn't be a shock. I I, I mean, we wouldn't be here, right? Christianity is by far the best when you compare all the other religions. Why? Because our God is personal. How do you think you have personality or characteristics, enneagrams? How do you have any of that? God, he gave us personalities. He gave us characteristics. God is not some impersonal force. God is not some impersonal God who cannot be or have a conversation with. Habakkuk says, you're my God. I have a relationship with you. This means God is knowable. This means that you can say like Jesus says on the cross, my God, my God. Can you say that? God is so big, and He rules over all things, and yet He is so intimate, He knows how many hairs you have on your head. He also knows how many hairs you have lost on your head. God is personal. It's why we talk about having a relationship with him, that he's not obtuse and busy. His phone calls don't go straight to voicemail. He answers when you call. It's why I have great hope for us in this world. You know, for Christmas, every year, my father-in-law gives my daughters a flashlight. It's his thing. Every year, flashlight. Every year, no batteries for said flashlights. (laughs) Now, this particular Christmas, The girls opened up their stockings and of course there was the flashlight of all flashlights and he made the offhand comment that nobody really heard, not even my wife heard, but I'm a good (laughs) son-in-law. I listen to my father-in-law. And he made this little comment. He said, those flashlights glow in the dark. Now, nobody knew this in the household but me because I listen. And so last night we got... Some batteries, and I put them in the flashlight, and my youngest was enthralled with this flashlight. That was very bright. But what she didn't know was that these flashlights glow in the dark. And so I took that flashlight and went to a lamp and just kind of held it there for a few, 30 seconds, I don't know, it seemed like an hour. But I held it there. And then we turned out the lights, and she went, whoa. This This is the quote. This is the best Christmas present I've ever gotten. (laughs) A 50-cent flashlight from Harbor Freight. (laughs) That, okay. What does that have to do? Okay. That flashlight is utterly useless when the lights are on. But when it's dark, ooh. It shines bright. The church shines brightest when it's dark. Why is the world so broken? Is it broken? It is. Why? People need Jesus. The church, her mission has not changed because the calendar has flipped over. The church has a mission. And the mission is to help people who are far from God to become followers of Jesus. And because of dark days or however you wanna describe this present darkness is that the church is gonna shine her light bright as a city on a hill that cannot be shaken. And that can't happen if God is aloof and disconnected. He's personal and he's relational and he desires a relationship with you. And that can only happen through Jesus Christ to all who would believe, to all who would confess him as Lord. He gives them what? The right to become his children. That means you have family relationship and family. Oh, we stick together. Jesus comes to us in his teaching, Jesus comes to us in his person, Jesus comes to us in the cross, he comes to us through the apostles, through his word, and he is speaking to us, and he makes us alive. But not just that, John Tinton says, I didn't come just to bring you life, but to have life more abundantly. So the world's gonna look at the church and say, why are y'all so happy? I have Jesus in my heart. I'm not worried about today. My God is eternal. My God is sovereign and he knows my name. The church will shine bright. But not just that, he says, my holy one. God is holy. The problem that Habakkuk is seeing is that God is holy and there's no evil in him, but he's seeing evil being taken in and being actually used by God. Habakkuk got this bad news and he says, hey, now you're holy. Because you're holy, it means that you're separating yourself from evil. But it seems to me that you're using evil people to do these things. How can that be? How are you going to appoint the Chaldeans? How are you going to ordain the Chaldeans to do this, God? What is going on? I don't understand. When you read your Bible, you see that God is holy over and over and over. But you cannot allow what you're experiencing to redefine who God is. I have to trust that God knows better than I do. I have to trust that. I have to remember that in his word, he is always faithful and always sure. No matter what I see, no matter what I'm walking through, he is holy and he will make a way. He continues, he says, you will not die, but Lord, you appointed or you ordained them. That's the Chaldeans to execute judgment. Listen, God is foreknowing. God is foreknowing. That means that God rules All things and areas where his rule might be thwarted, he overrules those things. I trust the foreknowledge of God because we have this inerrant word. We have this word today because of the foreknowledge of God and it's perfect and pure and sufficient and infallible and clear and you can understand it. Prophecy after prophecy was made in the Bible and they've all come true except for one. It's the last one in the whole entire book of the Bible. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Every day you wake up, you're one day closer to the return of Jesus. I'm not predicting or prophesying that date. I don't know that date, but I know this. When I woke up this morning, I'm one day closer to his return. Foreknowledge means that God knows what's coming down the pike. And guess what? God's not scared. God's not worried, he knows all these things. Now listen, you have free will, you have the decisions that you have to make, you've gotta be able to answer to certain things, you're responsible for the decisions you make, and, and you might even try to cause a mutiny in the caboose of the train, on the tracks to God's kingdom. But God's got us as the church on his tracks. And that train is driven by conductor Jesus. And Conductor Jesus is going to deliver us home. It's just a matter of time. And next week we're going to talk more about faith, but but listen to me. Faith is not knowing. Faith is knowing the Father who is all-knowing. He calls him my rock. That means God is trustworthy. We'd sing on particularly on Sunday nights growing up, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand, but Habakkuk is feeling like he's in the middle of sinking sand. I don't feel like I'm on a rock, but he says, you're my rock. A rock is trustworthy, it's solid, it's it's a good foundation. And he's saying, "You're, you're trustworthy, you're worthy of trust. You're my rock, you're stable. I feel like I'm experiencing an earthquake. Everything is shifted. You're supposed to be the God who stabilizes, and I don't feel stable, but you're my rock. But you've destined them to punish us. This trustworthiness of God is what should give you confidence in the days ahead, not fear. Habakkuk sees the injustice. He says, they've destined to punish us and your eyes are too pure, you can't even look on evil. Uh, but but I'm, I'm seeing all this happen. I'm seeing this wrongdoing. And I love this about Habakkuk because he's just honest. Some of you haven't been honest with God in a long time. He's calling you just to lay those things before him just like Habakkuk does. And sometimes, sometimes the most mature Christians in the world are those we find wrestling with God. He says something else as you continue to go down. He, he says in verse 14, you, are, you, you have made mankind. That means God is creator. If God's creator, it means that we are the creation and we are to respond to Him and everything belongs to Him. He is hurt. He's frustrated. He's confused, perplexed, questioning. He looks at the world and sees a mess. But He says, Hey, you've made mankind. You might even be saying, where is God in the world? God says, I made it all. I have made everything. God, if you are who you say you are, then why are the things the way they are? you creator. And he, they, he said, we feel like this fish in the sea, but the Chaldeans, they're just pulling us up and hooking us and destroying us and taking over us. They, they worship those things and they worship creation and we're not, we're worshiping the creator, but you've made all this, but why are we like this? Why is this happening? What Habakkuk doesn't know is that things aren't going to get better. In fact, in just a few years, several decades, there's gonna be a moment where I know that we just turned one page between Malachi and Matthew, but that that one page is 400 years of silence. You might say, oh, we're living in the darkest of days. 400 years of silence is the darkest of days. God's creator, he's eternal, he's sovereign, he's personal, he's holy, he's foreknowing, he's trustworthy. He created it all. So when you receive bad news, you pray, you recount who God is, but then look at what Habakkuk does. He retreats to meet with God. He says, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand at the guard post and station myself. I'm going to go to the lookout tower, the watchtower. I'm going to watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint." Did, did, you, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? So Habakkuk, instead of having all the answers, he, he goes, I'm just gonna take a step back now. I wanna listen. I wanna watch. You know, going to a watchtower was about, uh, was kind of a strategic move. You, you would go to these places so you could observe from a different standpoint. You know, when, the, when you're in the middle of it, it's hard. Like, you get lost in the, in the woods but, but here he's saying, I want to get a different perspective. I want, I want to maybe get a little bit higher. It's why, it's why you can, again, you can have the beach. I, I want to go to the mountains. Right? Because at the mountains, you get a higher vantage point. And we understand that God sees and he hears and he knows what's on your mind. He's not afraid of what's on your mind. He, he knows what's in your heart. But here Habakkuk is not informing God. He's inviting God. God, I'm inviting you. I need to watch for you. I need to wait with you. I need to meet with you. He stops and says, I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to stand at my guard post. That means I'm going to be ready. I'm going to station myself. I'm not going to leave. I'm going to go to the lookout tower. It's his high post to get his perspective. I'm going to watch to see what he will say to me. That means I'm going to listen. I'm going to watch for it. I'm going to see what he has to say about what I've said. Waiting requires faith. If you lack faith, you won't wait. Some of you aren't waiting on the Lord because your faith is fragile. You've gotten news that is bad. Part of our issue is that faith just isn't natural. I don't naturally have faith. I naturally, when I hear news and see things going on in the world and people asking me to fix it, as if I have some insight to fix all that, When I get that kind of information, it's easy for me to retreat into fear and doubt. That's what's natural for me. It's natural for me to become discouraged. It's natural for me to see this play out and be the worst case scenario. That's what's natural for me. They're like a, a weighted blanket or like a dumbbell that I've lashed into my ankle and walked all over town. When I fear and I doubt, I run to my own willpower. I run, I run to my own knowledge base and I run to my own experiences instead of running to God. But faith, faith is a gift of God. By grace, through faith, you are saved. And by grace, through faith, God works in our situations and he works in our relationships and he molds us into the image of his son. Habakkuk goes to his watchtower which is Habakkuk saying, I've not forgotten God. I will retreat and meet with him. He goes to a specific place. He looks out and he waits to hear from the Lord. Do you have a lookout tower in which you meet with God? Do you have a place and have you carved out time to meet with him? No binging on Netflix No Spotify, no internet, no phone, no TV, no sports, no news, just you and God. Where you actually stop and you listen. And I'm talking about you getting radical about this. You changing your sleeping patterns so that you can extend your time to meet with him where you choose to not sleep in on a Saturday, but choose to be a little tired, but to meet with him on that Saturday. Habakkuk stops, he watches, he listens. He wants to meet with God, he wants to hear what God has to say, and God's going to answer him, we'll see that next week. And I wish I could control even my own schedule week in and week out, but there's sometimes I can't control my own schedule. And I can't certainly control your schedule But this morning, here's what we wanna do, just a little bit different. We'll have a time of invitation. If you need to talk to somebody about what it means to follow Jesus, we we wanna meet with you about that. If you need to pray with us, we wanna pray with you. But at the end of our time of invitation, we're then gonna have an extended time to respond and worship to him. Because I think there's some of us in this room that have gotten some bad news And we need to meet with him. And so today, your circumstances may not look like anything but the will of God, but they are the will of God. And you need to say today, I'm going to stop. I'm going to listen. I'm going to see what he has to say. Because even if God tells you something hard, it will be for your good. Habakkuk teaches us that when we get bad news, we recount who God is and we retreat and meet with him. And we want to give you space to do that this morning. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you now and Lord, we're asking that as people now have heard your word, they would respond to you. If they're online right now and they need somebody to pray with them, that Father, they would just put pray and somebody will meet with them now and pray. If they need to talk to somebody, they would email info at rockhillbc.com and someone will meet with them. But Father, in this room, Father, we're asking that you would do a move of your spirit so that we can respond to you in spirit and in truth. We're asking this for your glory and our joy. In Christ's name.